Welcome to the Outpouring Orlando Sermon Podcast. The Outpouring is a vibrant, Christ-centered church in sunny Orlando, Florida. Thanks so much for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy today's message by Pastor John Daniels. So let's get ready to get into the first sermon of the year. If you got a Bible, why don't you turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and we will be looking at verses 3 through 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. This is a beautiful 9 a.m. crowd, by the way. This is great. This is great. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. And, and because it's first Sunday in the new year, through your mask, let us read together. Can we read God's word together? Yeah. We haven't practiced in a while, so we'll have grace for each other. So we'll start reading 2 Corinthians chapter 1, start reading at verse 3 all the way through 11. Ready? Read. Say it with your chest. and by your mercy have gathered in this first Sunday of this new year. God, I pray that this morning your will be done in our lives. God, as we study together this morning, I pray that this will set the tone for the rest of the year. I pray that this would set the tone for how we view the rest of our year, no matter what happens. And so, Father, I pray that you will grow us by leaps and bounds this morning. I pray, God, that you will be glorified through our study and through our participation in the preaching of God's word. I pray, Father, that whatever distractions there may be in our minds and our hearts and our lives and our families. Lord, I just pray that just for these few moments, God, we would be able to focus in with razor sharp focus to hear what you have to say to us. 
And God, I pray that that we're not just hearers, but that we are doers of your word. And so, Father, let this permeate our hearts and permeate our minds and let it result in a life lived in honor of you. And so, Father, we thank you this morning for your son, Jesus. We pray he would be lifted, that he would be glorified today. We, we pray that Jesus, his name will be made great today. And so, Father, we just want to say thank you for who you are and for everything that you've done. We thank you for this and we pray this prayer in your son, Jesus name. We pray and the people of God said, amen. Amen. My sermon title this morning is God is still God. God is still God. I have never in my life, nor have we in our generation, have been more excited to leave one year and go into another year. I think everyone would agree that what we all experienced in the previous year made us long for this new year that we now find ourselves in. I think that is the common theme, whether you are a believer or not, that you are glad that 2020 is over. That, that you could not wait for that year to end. But what I find even more interesting is that although the calendar year ended, the ending of the calendar year did not end our present problems. That the calendar year ended, true indeed, but we still find ourselves in the midst of a crazy world. It's almost as if 2020 says, you breaking up with me, but I didn't break up with you. That, that the remnants, the implications of it are still lingering. If doing too much was a year, 2020 was it. And so with everything that has happened and transpired in the last year, it could lead many to ask questions as it relates to God's role and God's disposition. People may be asking the question in light of everything happening in the world, what could God or what could your God possibly be doing in the light and in the midst of all of the loss, the tragedy, the devastation, the disappointment, the death, the suffering, and just the all-out pressure to live day to day. But here's what I want you to know, that in spite of everything and in spite of what you see, God is not inactive. God is not disengaged. God is actually actively engaged and God is and always has been sovereign over all things in spite of what you may believe. Make no mistake about it. Everything that we have gone through is a result of what sin has brought to our creation. You think that it's just some man-made thing that is happening or you think that we are having problems because people can't get along or because people are racist or because we don't know what we're doing or because we have bad leadership. No, all of the pressure that we're dealing with, all of the craziness and quirkiness that we're dealing with is a result of sin that is in it into the world. Make no mistake about it. 
But here's what I need you to know. Our present sufferings are not uncommon to all of humanity. This is not just a Christian thing this time. This is for everybody. Everybody is experiencing the same thing. However, these present afflictions are unique for us as believers because we suffer as we confess Christ at the same time. And so we we as believers are going through the same thing, but we're still declaring that God is still God and that God is still good. And so although we ask questions, we ask questions in a different light. And although we experience things, we experience them in a different light. And so this changes everything for us because it changes the way we perceive and experience everything that we go through. And so people are looking for answers. But I need to tell you today, we need something more than just answers, something larger and something greater than intellectual answers to the question of suffering. We need something more than just assistance. We need God himself. And the good news is this, in Christ, God promises to wipe away not just the questions from our mind, but God promises in Christ to wipe away every tear from our eyes. That's good news. And so this, this relief, this help, this comfort cannot be found in an answer to intellectual theological questions, but the answers to what we're dealing with is actually found in a person in a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. The good news is that God has come to answer our questions and God has said the answer. And everything that we are looking for and our hearts are longing for is found in Christ Jesus. God, what is God doing? God is being God. God God is working out his purposes and his will in spite of everything that is happening. And here's what we need to know. Here is the point that salvages everything. Here is the silver lining. Here's the light that is shining in the darkness. What we need to know is this, is that God doesn't waste anything. That, that every pain, every suffering, every disappointment, every loss, all of the death, God is not wasting that. God is using it to bring about his glory and his purposes. And we must get that in our minds and in our hearts so that we can have the right perspective moving forward. That God wastes nothing. Regardless of how hard, disappointing, frustrating, aggravating, perplexing, exhausting, Things have been God is using it to bring forth his purposes. However, it is up to us to determine whether we will allow ourselves to perceive this from his perspective. Or will we let the world determine how we process what we experience? Here's what you need to know that God has not left us alone. God is with us. Our survival is proof that God is with us. The simple fact that you are right here today is proof that God is with you. The simple fact that we are gathered here in a church in the midst of a pandemic is proof that God is still with us. God is not only with us, but in this text today we'll see That God, in the midst of all of our suffering and afflictions, God has wrapped his arms around us. That God is with us. And what we have today is the greatest text in the Bible on comfort. So the Apostle Paul does something for us here. He shows us how we should start our new year. Paul 
shows us in verse three how we should get this party started. Paul shows us, he gives us a simple exercise in how we should begin our new year. And what I want you to see in the beginning of this letter is Paul begins not with his issues, but Paul begins with God. Paul begins with God. And let us begin our new year with God. Before he dresses, addresses the subject matter of the letter, he praises God for being God who has provided him with what was most essential for his survival in his own life. And that was God. God's comfort with him. And so he doesn't just say, I thank God that God was comforting me. He says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of mercies. And watch what he calls him in verse three. He calls him the God of all comfort. He calls him the God of all comfort, the God who strengthens us, the God who encourages us, the God who walks alongside us. He is saying that if there is any comfort that I've experienced in the difficult trials that I faced, it was because God was the source of my comfort. And I want to tell you this, after everything that you've gone through in 2020, if you experience at any point any sense of restfulness, any relief, any sense of peace, if you have any sanity left in your mind, if we have any feeling of contentment, any type of comfort at all. It was because God is the author and the source of your comfort. God is the source of it. Our response to that should be our response to God's comfort in our lives and for being with us through all that we've gone through is to praise God because of it. Praise God that he has walked with us through this, through, through this whole pandemic and all of the things that we went through in the last year. God was walking right alongside us because he is the God, not just of some comfort, but he's the God of all comfort. All comfort. Meaning this, that there is no loss too deep, no sorrow or pain too great for the God who freely gives comfort to all of those who belong to him. God is the source of all comfort. That means that this is the case that if God is all, is God, if God is the source of all comfort, that means that we don't have to look anywhere else for the comfort that we expect, that we expect from people. Well, we should look for comfort only from God. People's comfort that they can give you is limited. But God will stick with you through everything. And so, it is to Christ that God brings us comfort. So, you know, I know you're asking me, well, how, how do I experience this comfort? Do I pray that God would allow me to just take a little vacation or to take a little trip? True comfort does not come in material wealth or consumerism. True comfort doesn't come from trips or vacations, although those things are nice. And God wants you to enjoy a little vacation every now and again. They are not the source of true comfort because guess what? That vacation ends at some point. You gotta get off that yacht in San Tropez and get back to Orlando at some point. You gotta get off of that cruise and, and, and get your feet back on the ground at some point and go, and go back to work and live your life. So th those things, that, that comfort does not last long. That comfort does not last long, but the comfort that God gives is long lasting. It never ends. It is just like God. It is eternal comfort. God will always be with us. And so instead of looking outwardly for the comfort, let us first look to God to comfort us in our afflictions. What is the qualifications then? Here's the paradox of the, of the gospel. To qualify for God's comfort, you must first admit that you are weak. If there's anything that, that, that we've learned these last 12 months, 
is that we are not as strong as we thought we were. That, that we are not all that strong at all. That, that we are frail. That we are human. That, that, we, are, that we are, are weak. And our culture would scoff at that because we don't celebrate weakness. We only celebrate fake strength. But you remember what Jesus said in the Beatitudes in Matthew 5 and 4? He says, blessed are those who mourn, who know that they are weak, who know that they need help, who know that they don't have it together. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. God comforts the weak, and it probably sounded foolish to the Corinthians the same way it sounds foolish to us. But here's what you need to know. The gospel does not rise and fall on health and wealth and fake strength, but the gospel rises and falls on weakness. And so we have to accept this paradox and this reality of life with Christ is that God's power is on fullest display when we are weak. Whenever you want to see God's power in your life, admit that just you, you don't have it all together. Admit that there are some times and some things that you are extremely weak in. Admit that, that, that you don't have it all together like you portrayed to some people that at times that, that, that your most natural disposition is, God, I'm not strong enough to deal with this. And God's power is displayed in our weakness. Paul said it like this later on uh, in the letter in chapter 12. He said this, his strength is made perfect in our weakness. That's beautiful. And, and here's what Paul says. Therefore, I will not boast in how strong I am. He says, therefore, I will boast all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me. So I take Pleasure in weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, pandemics, and in difficulties for the sake of Christ, for whom, for when I am weak, then I'm strong. That, that is the paradox of the gospel. And if we don't see it from this perspective, we will miss the blessing that God is trying to bestow on us, that God can use our weakness for his glory. Yes, you are tired. Yes, we wanted to get it over, to be over with. Yes, we're over all of this stuff. Yes, we're not sure how much more we can take. Yes, we have mental, emotional, and spiritual fatigue. We are tired and everybody knows it. But if we would just keep going and keep showing up and quit complaining all the time and rather press into God in his power, his power will be on full display in our weakness, people who know that you are weak will see you pressing and have no choice but to recognize that it's not your strength that keeps you going, but it's the power of God working in your life. God wants to use your weakness. God wants to use your weakness. So here's this thing that God has comforted us. Well, God has not comforted us with the sole purpose of us keeping that comfort to ourselves and playing it safe. Rather, God comforts us so that we can comfort other people. Here's what he says in verse four. He comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. And so Paul faced so many hardships and so many tests throughout his ministry and his life that at times Paul other people to come to minister to him. He's ministering to other people and people are ministering to him. And that's this is how this cycle or this circular motion of comfort is supposed to work. That although we get our comfort from God, 
We are also supposed to use that same comfort to step into the lives of other people and bring them along as well, which shows us this, that we need to focus on life and community in a God, life with the gospel in community that we actually need each other. And the problem with some of us is, is that we had some hard moments last year and we tried to walk through it by ourselves, even though we had a church around us. And God is like, I put you in community so that you could see my strength around you and that you can be encouraged with other people. But when the church makes available community through life groups or fellowship or whatever else we do, and you decide that you're going to just take a pass and make your way home or not sacrifice to get on a call or meet with other people throughout the week, what you're saying is, I got my stuff together and I don't need nobody else. And so you walk through it by yourself, and God has brought us into community. God has brought us to community and life together in the gospel for a purpose. So, Pastor, how do I be, be comfort to someone else? You give them help if they need it. You speak and communicate the promises of God to people who are struggling in their faith. You speak the truth and love to people when they need to hear it. You remind other people of the goodness and the faithfulness of God. Here's how I like to say it. We use words, hands, and hearts. That if there's a word to be said, say it. If there's a thing to be done, do it. But make sure that it comes from your heart. Here's what Paul says in verses five through seven. But just as the sufferings of Christ overflow to us, so also... So also through Christ, our comfort overflows. If we are afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings that we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that as you share in the sufferings, so you will also share in the comfort. And here's a problem, that Paul was the comfort that God sent to the church at Corinth. The problem with it was, is that they were looking at Paul's life thinking, how in the world can you help us when you are always suffering and struggling? And so for them, their perspective of the gospel was this, if God is with you, your life will look prosperous. That if you're blessed, it'll look like something. That there is no way that God is with you with all that you're going through. Matter of fact, some guys had come into the church and told them, look at Paul's life. If Paul was who he said he was and God was with him, he wouldn't be going through the struggle that he's going through. He, his life would actually look a lot better than it does. And, and, and so they lived in a culture that's all about materialism, all about consumerism, all about this selfish pride that they, they wanted to come to Corinth to, to strive and make it and be somebody. Like, like this was the type of city that they were in. And so they prided themselves on climbing the ladder of success, becoming significant, be, being respected by their peers. They were striving and trying to climb the corporate ladder of, of success. They were trying to pull themselves up by their own bootstraps. And here you have lowly Paul preaching the paradox of the gospel that says you're strong when you're weak and that God's power is made 
made perfect in our weakness and they're looking at his life and they can't receive from them because they can't perceive spiritually, but they're looking in the natural. And Paul is like, I came here to, to, to show you that by my weakness, God is showing you his power. Be encouraged because I'm still going. And, and, and they can't see it. And so, so, so Paul is like, look, this is the life that I was called to. And this is the life that you're called to, too. That in the Christian life, there will be suffering. That a part of your relationship with Christ is to go through suffering. But why are we so surprised that God has finally made us put our money where our mouth is? This year has revealed not just how weak we are, but it's also revealed that maybe some that we thought were walking with Jesus were never walking with him in the first place. That if all of it took was a pandemic to detach you from God, you were never with him in the first place. That if this knocked the wind out of you in March, and it's January, and nothing in you says, you know what? I go to the grocery store. I go to the mall. I've been to parties. I hopped on a plane with a mask and a tight space. I've gone to events. I've gone to see my family. But it's not safe enough to go to church yet. This is revealed to us that God separating the wheat and the tares is a real thing. But for some of us, it is revealed that God is really with you. That through all of the suffering, you understood at the outset that if you read any of the New Testament, if you're reading the five by five by five plan, shameless plug, you will see that suffering is par for the course in the Christian life. That, that first Peter chapter one tells us, says this, but when you do what is good and suffer, if you endure it, this brings favor with God. That for you were called to this because God, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving an example that you should follow in his footsteps. As we walk with Jesus, we will suffer in this life. We'll suffer in this life. Here's the thing. Here's what the comfort actually is. Here's comfort. The comfort is not a feeling. Real comfort in knowing, real comfort comes in knowing that you are saved. That when a hug won't do it, that when kind words won't do it, real comfort comes in knowing that your salvation is secure in Christ. Real comfort comes in knowing what God has done for us through Christ in his suffering, his death and his resurrection. Real comfort comes in knowing that Jesus has brought me from spiritual death to life. That, that real, real, real comfort is knowing that Christ's comfort always exceeds my affliction. That, that even if I am in pain, even if I'm tired of it and I'm over it and I can't take it anymore, here's what I know in the back of my mind at the end of the day, that if I lose my job, if I lose my life, that I am with God. 
that, that Jesus has saved me and my comfort is not in my own strength or in my own power, but my comfort is in God. Here's what one theologian said. Suffering is a page in the textbook used in God's school of faith. And so Paul says to them in verse seven, my hope is firm. Our hope for you is firm. Our hope for you is firm. Now, this is the crazy thing. Paul tells the most inconsistent, unstable church in the New Testament that his hope in them is firm. He tells the craziest, most sinful, most lukewarm church possible. He tells them that, that, that his hope in them is firm. Why would Paul say that to some people, some trifling Christians who, who barely serve God, who are more consumed with the world? Why would he say that to these weak Christians? They'd be the last people that you pick on the Christian basketball team. Why would he say that to them? Why would he say that his hope is firm? His hope is firm not because of their power to keep themselves saved. His hope is firm because the God who saved them is powerful enough also to keep them saved. And so his hope is not just firm in them, but his hope is firm in the God who saved them. That no matter what they go through, that if God has truly saved a person, it won't take a pandemic to end your relationship with God. God is saved. God saves you. God will keep you saved no matter what you go through in this life. Whether it's heartbreaks, breakups, setbacks, disappointment, job loss, health, whatever it is. If God saved you, God will keep you saved. So Paul finally wants to do this. He tells them about this comfort. And Paul wants to use a real life personal example. Here's what Paul says in verses 8 through 10. This is so brutally honest. And maybe we should take a page from Paul's book. And maybe we should be dishonest. He says, oh, by the way, we don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, of our affliction that took place in Asia. We were completely overwhelmed. Beyond our strength. So that we even despaired of life itself. Wait a minute. This is the apostle who's called by God. This is God's chosen instrument to take the gospel to the Gentiles, to the kings and to Israelites. This is God's chosen, chosen man. This is Paul. If anybody's strong, it's got to be Paul. But here Paul is saying we were completely overwhelmed beyond our strength so that we even despair of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had, have, had received the sentence of death so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. And so here's the thing. We don't know what Paul's affliction was in Asia. Paul, Paul had a whole bunch of stuff going on. The threat of death because people wanted to keep him from preaching the gospel. Paul might have had this thorn in his flesh with some believe with some sort of sickness or some sort of disease that Paul carried around with him. We, we don't know what it was, but Paul says, I was completely overwhelmed by it to the point it was beyond my strength and I didn't want to even live another day. This is where, where, where Paul is. Paul is having this life-threatening event. Paul is completely overwhelmed by life. There is no exit for him. There is no way out. Paul is under unimaginable pressure with everything that is going on. This is God putting more on you than you can handle. God won't put more on you than you can handle. It's not true. 
Stop saying it. This punches that idea dead smack in the face and turns it upside down on his head. God has put more on us than any of us can handle in this last, these last 12 months. But God does it for a reason. For, 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 that, for, for, for those that, that felt like this thing is about to take you out, that there's been too much pressure, the odds are insurmountable, there's nowhere to turn, don't know how much pain, pressure, anxiety, agony, depression, overwritenness, too muchness that, that you can take anymore. That, 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 that you've had enough with everything that's going on. Paul is saying, I've been there. He says, indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. It's almost like Paul turned on CNN and stared at the COVID number, seeing almost 400,000 people dying. And he looked at it in the face and said, I got to be next. Paul is living in this reality. It's like he's almost had an official death sentence. And I know for a lot of us, we felt like this year was the end, like we did not know what was going to happen. This is Abraham taking Isaac up on Mount Moriah and he's about to kill him. There's nothing else he can do. He's got to kill the boy. Death is imminent. There's no way out of the situation. This is what he is facing. There's no power that can deliver him. There's no earthly thing that can happen in his life. And God brings all of this pressure for a divine purpose. And it tells us what it is in verse nine. So that we would not trust in ourselves. Why has all this been going on? The answer is found in verse nine. So that we would not trust in ourselves, but rather in God who raises the dead. That that is the answer to the question. God has put so much on us so that we will stop being self-reliant. God put so much on us and, and ripped the rug from under our feet so that we can stop trusting in ourselves in our own way and doing our own thing and getting on our own agenda. God says, I'm tired of all of that. I'm pulling the rug up under you so that you can fall down and you can look up and see me. So that we would not trust in ourselves, but we would trust in the God who raises the dead. This reminds me of what Paul said in Romans 4, 17, the one who gives life to the dead and calls things in existence. No, no, we don't call things into existence. God does. And this same God who brings something out of nothing is the God that he's calling us to trust in. And here is the main idea of the sermon. Every ounce of suffering has happened so that we would not trust in ourselves. God wants us to trust him. God wants us to trust him. Here's what we need to know. That his deliverance in our lives is certain. His deliverance is certain. He says something in verse 10. He repeats it. He has delivered us from such a terrible death. He will deliver us. And he will deliver us again. He has delivered us. He will deliver us. And he'll deliver us again. He has delivered us. He will deliver us. And he'll deliver us again. Sometimes things can't be resurrected until they've died. 
And some of us got to let some stuff die. And the primary thing that we got to let die is trusting in ourselves. And here's what he paints the picture. That God has brought deliverance in the past. He's going to deliver us in the immediate future. And if that's not enough, he'll deliver us in the ultimate future. Meaning this, that God has the power to bring us out of our situation because he's done it before. The same God that brought Jesus out of the dead can resurrect us out of our situation right now. But even if he doesn't do it now, we lose our lives in this pandemic. There is an ultimate deliverance that it points to. That ultimately, even if we die, God will raise us up again. And so that is why we can trust in God. The same God who raised Jesus from the grave is the same God that will raise us from the grave and raise us to life, too. That is why we can trust God, because God is a God who raises the dead. So. As I close, I want to leave you with this. There are promises for those who suffer. God didn't just want us to suffer so that we have a miserable life. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying go looking for suffering. He's not saying, say, hey, go, go out there and get yourself in some situation so you can suffer to know what it feels like. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying that your life has got to look tore down in order for you to be a follower of Jesus Christ. That's not what he's saying. But what he's saying is because you live in the world and you bear my name, you will suffer. But, but there is precious promises for those of us who suffer, that, that even what we're going through is serving this great purpose. Here's what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10. He says, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you suffered a little while. That God is going to give you a fresh wind. That God is going to allow us to breathe again. That, that God is supporting us as we suffer. That as you are weak, God is strengthening you in your weakness. That God is building a firm foundation right beneath you. That, that God is with us after we've suffered a little while. But the promises in God get even better than that. I'm reminding Romans 8, verse 18. Romans 8 and 18 says this, For I consider the sufferings of the present time not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed. Things get better. That we have to suffer in this life to appreciate what's going to happen in the life to come. Like we got to taste some terrible, bad food, some, some horrible uh, uh, fast food restaurant that starts with the M type of food before we really appreciate the main course, five course meal that God is going to roll out in eternity. That, that we got to go through some horrible stuff right now to appreciate and see how much sweeter the glory that God is going to bring. What he says in 2 Corinthians 4, 17 is this, for our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal way of glory. It will get better. It will get better. It will get better. I love it. For I consider the sufferings of the present time are not worth comparing with the glory. We're going to get to eternity and laugh about this. 
We're going to, that was nothing. We'll say, I'm glad we went through that. Thank God that we went through this so that I can appreciate every day in his presence. No sickness, no sadness, no pandemics, no police brutality, no poverty, no oppression, no broken marriages, no broken homes, no single mothers, no, none of this stuff will exist. There will only be glory and peace. But in order to get there, we got to go through this. And the last thing he does, and I'm done, is in verse 11, he says, while you join in in the prayers, he invites them to pray. Why would Paul invite them to pray? That although God's will is settled and God is sovereign, in God's plan of salvation, he somehow allows us to participate. And he invites us in to petition him. And he tells us that our prayers can affect change. It is saying this, that it is okay to ask God to bring us out. It is okay to pray and say, God, would you please come and deliver us? That he invites us in to petition on behalf of each other. This is beautiful. That we get to experience the power of God in prayer. That through our prayers, we can affect change. Through our prayers, we're reminded that God is with us and God is still God. The question that I'll end with is this. No matter what happens from now to the end of the year, the question is this. Will you trust him? Will you trust him? If something else happens that we don't see coming, will you remember this and trust him. Will you run to him for comfort or will you run to something else? I think you should declare today. If you want to decree and declare something, decree and declare this. That no matter what happens, I've settled in my heart that I'm going to trust God. I'm ready this year. I didn't, have my, I didn't have my defense up. I had all these grand plans and I got punched in the face. There was something that happened in my life and in the life of my family that I did not see coming and I wasn't ready. But I'm ready this year. I'm ready this year. I'll be, I'll, I'm gonna cry. I'm gonna complain for a few weeks. But then I'm a praise because I've decided today that I'm going to trust him. Will you trust him? Let us pray. Father, we thank you. Today. We hope you were blessed by the message today and would love to hear about how God is using this ministry in your life. 
You can connect with us online at outpouringorlando.com to share your story, request prayer, give financial support, or learn more about our ministry. We'd love to see you at one of our Sunday services if you're ever in the Orlando area. Thanks again for joining us today. Have a wonderful week.